All right, baby. I think um I've already lost count of how many beers deep I'm at, so let's fucking get this, shall we? Yeah, I already have had two. Yeah. Can't drive. <laughs> I cannot drive. <laughs> yeah, according to the Army's certified manual of one drink every, like, five hours, you can't drive, that's for sure. Yeah, I remember when they told me that. They were like, one drink every three hours and no more than three in a night. I'm like, what kind of nine-hour night are y'all having? Like, that's... Uh... It's like whenever all the doctors ask you, like, are, are you suffering from depression or PTSD? Or do you have any thoughts about hurting yourself? How much do you drink? And everyone who ever has to answer that question is, like, looking at each other, like, I have to lie. I have to lie right now. Or they yeah. like, flag me. <laughs> yeah. They tried to stop my PCS because I, I wasn't in on the jig one time. And uh, I answered honestly. And some, like, the, the doctor's boss doctor came in and was like. <laughs> boss doctor. Mr. Boss like, doctor. son. PhD. Yeah, it was like, I got visited by this Morgan Freeman looking doctor. And he was like, he was like, look, son, I can write this down. That you drink as much as you just told me. And I'll stop your PCS and send you to Sud Sea. And I was like, don't, don't do that. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? I'm <laughs> And, and he was like, so you're telling me you made a mistake, right? And he's holding his pen right to the paper, just about to correct the error. And I was like, yes, I made a mistake. And he was like, that's what I thought. And he like corrected it. And I was like, y'all are assholes, man. What the fuck? It's like, you know, we all drink this much, but you're only going to make an issue of it when we don't lie to you. Because you want us to lie to you fucking bureaucrats. All right. So. For everyone who's listening, we haven't recorded in uh, over two weeks, I guess. Not a lot of shit going on. Um, I 100% blame Jim for not editing the other episode and getting it out fast enough. That's on the record. I got it out today, so we're going to have back-to-back episodes. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. We're busy. We have lives. Also, no one listens to this podcast, (laughs) so... We're I'm no so longer busy at all. I just <laughs> I just procrastinated. I just didn't want to do it. I hate listening to all the mashed potatoes. I just can't take it. Oh, shut up. You love it. rapid fire some some hot news takes at you because i know we've both been kind of out of the loop for a little bit we'll just get your uh your freshest brain juices all over these so very (laughs) very first thing trump got acquitted your thoughts yeah i don't give a fuck we all knew that was going to happen who gives a shit the only people that give a shit are like the new york times and every like liberal parent over the age of 48 like that's just that they're panicking it's liberal hysteria i don't give a fuck thought something else could possibly happen, which I think is yes. absolutely hilarious. It's like the Russia gate thing. It's like, oh, everyone freak out. God, Dude, everyone was so mad at Mitch care. McConnell because they were like, oh my God, he said he was guilty, but then voted not guilty. And you're like, 
yeah, motherfucker, the dude has power and he's wielding it over you. Like, <laughs> you thought, yeah. you thought yeah. he was going to like yeah. do what you want? You Fuck off. And yeah, Mitch McConnell, like the I think it was the Atlantic that put out that it was like Mitch McConnell basically wrote the uh, state or federal indictment for or was it state level indictment of his of Donald Trump's crimes? Like, dude, right. like <laughs> dot 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 next. That means nothing happened. You're writing this because you're like, look, he agrees with us, and it's like, yeah, because you guys exist in a world where words are the thing that matters and not the actual convictions. Like you just have to, it's like, look, it's in print. Yes. I'm sure the media all thinks that if it's in print, that's what we, we, we got them. Ladies and gentlemen, holds up front page of paper. You know, <laughs> Trump is a bad person, you know, orange man, bad. Like we got him, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> applause around the office. You know, everyone walks in, they give someone a fucking Pulitzer. Like no one, nothing happened. You were irrelevant. You're on the side of the fucking show. Hell yeah. Spicy. All right. Mm. Let's hit next take. I think everyone's talked about Trump's acquittal enough. And by enough, I mean they mentioned it once, and that was probably more than any of us needed to know about it. So we're going to go ahead and move on to the next thing about our current president. President Biden just issued new ICE guidance, wholly abandoning his pledge to halt deportations. Tell me, Jim, are you surprised? Are you surprised by this news? <laughs> like, I don't know what the, I honestly, I'm not smart enough to know what the explanation is for him hating. Like, maybe, like, he, we all know Joe Biden secretly wants to be black. Not even secretly. He just wants to be black. He's like the, the classic white liberal dude that's like, you know, man, if I was black, you know, I'd fuck my wife or something. <laughs> you know, but like the, the, Maybe it's because he's like, you're not my favorite type of, of person of color. That's, you know, that's, I don't really know. I'm not an immigration expert. Why would he, I mean, I thought business loves exploiting Hispanic immigrant labor. Like, that's a thing that we have to do. I know that's how Texas feels. Yeah. They're like, who's going to mow our lawns? That's like the actual, it's the actual complaint. They're like, I don't want my teenage son mowing lawns. I want, I want, uh, exploited migrant worker i can pay less than a minimum wage to mow my lawn yeah, yeah I, think I don't know the, what's his what's his the deal biggest thing is that it's basically a return to the obama era immigration policies which we all know yeah. which is absolute hot dog shit that's but, okay yeah but also keep in mind it's not that much different than what trump was already doing the only thing that trump did was he said it out loud he just said the wall shit constantly like build the wall constantly. He didn't just, you know, quietly start a border surveillance drug program, you know, in Arizona mm. and Texas to make sure that everyone who was crossing could be fucking caught from 30 miles away. Like they're all doing the yeah. same exact shit. And frankly, I, I don't get it. I don't get why Obama or Biden care. Like who are they pleasing with this like grandstanding over the border and everything? Like Trump clearly had an audience. Like it, made sense in his grab for actual power, you know? Like, he got a lot of people yeah. behind him by saying, build the wall. What the fuck is Obama or Biden actually accomplishing from this? Yeah, yeah. We have the same take then. It's like, it doesn't... I don't know why... Maybe maybe it's something to have in the pocket so we can be like, look, Republicans, I'm hard on immigration. You can claim that I'm... But I don't think... The that would actually, that's fuck. not a real... 
Yeah, like, they give a fuck about, like, culture war shit that is in the headlines. About, like, trans bathrooms or whatever the fuck. Like, it's not... This doesn't seem like a big... I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. That's my that's my very lukewarm take. <laughs> I, I think this is more or less just confirmation that after the first week or so of Biden pumping out a bunch of like environmental policy, like rejoining the Paris climate agreement, um, mm-hmm. all of like the, the good things that he was doing, appointing Bernie as his labor secretary, like department of the interior, whatever the fuck, all of these good things that they kept trying to say, like, Oh, Biden is a return to normal. This is all great. It really just means it's a return to the horseshit that we've been doing for the past fucking 60 years. You know, like, yeah, we're, yeah. All we're gonna they do, they do just, love Obama and Obama was like this guy that was like, look, he's the from a woke perspective, he is the correct person to be in charge of our nation. But from a functional, like materialist perspective, he's going to keep everything in order and actually make it worse for the majority of people in this country, and make it better for the people that actually matter in our oligarchic democratic system. So. <laughs> yep. The seven-page guidance can generally be characterized as a return to form vis-a-vis the immigration enforcement under the Obama administration. Some of the new provisions are likely to be of extreme concern to immigrants, immigrant communities, and immigrant rights activists. Yep. I think, he probably I think, could just say, well, Obama did it, and everyone would be like, oh, shit, I had no idea. <laughs> my bad. Back yeah, up. Obama I remember at it. one point, uh, my family, because I was like railing against the the Trump co- concentration camps on the border, and my family was like, you know this actually started under Obama, right? And I was like, I do know that, and I also hate Obama. Like, what the fuck's your point? Yeah, and that's the end of and the they argument. They're like, yeah, they didn't know how to answer that. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. All right. My leftness is beyond your comprehension. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so far around the horseshoe you can't even comprehend. Yeah. All right. Uh, next take. You're gonna love this one. Rush Limbaugh. Thoughts. Uh, what about him? <laughs> I'm metaphorically pissing in his fucking skull right now. Just like the same way they do it in the Yale School and Bowling Society for Geronimo, I'm metaphorically just pissing in his skull. Fuck you, Rush Limbaugh. Dude, I remember listening to him on the drive on AM radio to and from school for like four straight years in middle school, I think. Because um, my mom had that shit on all the fucking time. And uh, yeah, he is definitely part of that like precursor era, like early Fox News shit that just caused all of the brain worms that infects like 40% of this country. And it's the reason that some of my family members have no idea how to respond to just like law school, logical, like cause and effect kind of relationships between, you know, this person has material wealth and they want to, you know, execute this policy over you. And they're like, no, it's actually liberals that did it. You can blame Rush Limbaugh for all of that shit. Fuck you, Rush. I hate you. I can't wait to have sex with his dismembered corpse. That's been a dream of mine for so long. <laughs> That's not getting cut. That's staying in there. <laughs> Dude. Oh, Dude. no. Like, I think one of the only things I've enjoyed about, like, the, the discourse around his death is when everyone is kind of, it's like the, who the fuck was it? Was it Murdoch that died a little bit back? And a lot of people had, like, kind of a similar reaction where they're like, there's some people that came out and they said, you know, we shouldn't celebrate the death 
of others. And then about everybody that was replying to that was like, actually, fuck you. We should celebrate his specific death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Same way uh, we celebrate Murdoch's so death, like we celebrate Rush Limbaugh's death. You see that massive piece of yeah. shit and the stain on humanity. Yeah. Like, for once, there's a little bit of justice, and then he died before the age of 108. Yeah. Like, fucking. <laughs> like, didn't Strom Thurmond die at like 101 or something like that? Where Biden eulogized him. <laughs> yeah, literally sucking the brain, the adrenochrome brain juices out of young children to stay alive for longer. <laughs> it's adrenochrome. It's yeah. all adrenochrome. It's an herbal supplement, actually. You can order it. It's, it's only illegal in three states. Get it while you can. So. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to our next hot take. And you can actually speak a little bit, probably personally, to this one, right? The Texas snowpocalypse. Hit me up. Yeah, that's actually like dropping all like you know bits for a second. That's actually fucking insane. Like just this this Texas power grid that has time and time again failed to be winterized, like protect, protected from um, you know freezes and winter conditions and like things that would stop it from any of the moving parts from moving and the power the power generating parts from generating power. Um, in the name of capitalism and the bottom line and profit, these things were, again, even after the 2011 freeze or the 2007 ice storm, they were not fucking winterized. And so this giant Arctic blast, which is asterisk climate change, as you get increasing erratic behavior from the Arctic, yeah, comes down all over the central United States and drops temperatures to fucking single digits or below for like South Texas, which is a place that's wholly unprepared for that has no ability to plow or, or, uh, salt the streets. Salt the yeah. Or, has yeah, or like repair. That. Yeah. There's no preparation for any of the mechanics, like the, the public works, the water purification systems, the energy grid. It's all, and all just fucking yeah. be every pipe burst in the goddamn state. And everyone's, <laughs> It's just it's amazing. It's purely a result of just uh, profit-based decision making, and everyone knows yeah. that. Uh, even Greg Abbott, when he went out and said that it was because that our solar panels and wind farms failed us, and that this is what a Green New Deal would look like, and he called out AOC because he secretly wants to have sex with AOC, <laughs> but can't do it. So he's just he's basically <laughs> doing the political version of pulling her pigtails in the playground. And he called her out and said, this is what a Green New Deal would look like. And AOC was like, bet. And raised $2 million overnight <laughs> and flew to Texas Dude. and gave money to the fucking food banks all over the state. And it was fucking awesome. I love her. Dude, God I damn was it. in the Our Conservative subreddit today just checking out like what their hot takes are on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. They are actually breaking down over AOC because like they had this whole thread going on about it. And post after post was like, I don't, I don't understand how to process this information. Like, are you saying that AOC is doing the right thing and Ted Cruz is doing the wrong? Like, I don't get this. <laughs> like, legitimate confusion. <laughs> just it would be like, I'm confused. Period. It's just like no follow up. <laughs> and you're just sitting there like, hmm, hmm. That's it's really strange that the people who have aligned their interests with the super PACs and like their billionaire donors don't have your best interests in mind, you fucking retards. 
Like, yeah. come on, align yourself funny. with the, the people who have your material interests in mind. Like, seriously, figure this out. Guys. Yeah. Well, it's not that's that that's an interesting point because we, you and I are both like that. Though we were like that, where we we convinced ourselves, or you know, had been convinced through ideological mechanisms that the libertarian view of the market was the right one. That the God yeah, market will. Yeah will the invisible hand of the market will settle all scores will make everything all boats will rise with the tide reaganomics trickle down exactly all that and the issue is regulation and it's it's only after a little bit of history that you you know history life experience and education and history that you turn around and look at it but i know we were both like that and it really is like the, the thing is they have been convinced that their materialist interests are best served by a libertarian approach to regulatory practices on the market yeah and that's patently false with any even cursory glance at history of regulation and yeah. monopoly uh behavior but like it's it's good because that is the kind of breakdown that you and i had as well and that would happen to them so this is this is something yeah, it's- i am i am allowing myself to be hopeful I'm allowing myself to be able – I saw a Texas newspaper, a major Texas newspaper, refer to – on the front page, refer to AOC, not as AOC with a picture, but as New York Congresswoman raises $2 million to help Texas in need, Texans in need. And I was like, that's the first well, one. Um, I had to flip – Did they have Did they have a picture of her like looking crazy with her bug eyes or what, did she, they actually have a normal picture of her like no her normal human face. front page was just that headline and then on Hell a4 yeah. the fucking i'm giving away what newspaper it is they're gonna find me I, you know this is my last episode <laughs> all right they're gonna they're gonna get me um the all, uh, all 10 listeners are gonna all 10 males from fucking you know fort hood from are gonna, ages uh like 24 to 28 are gonna yeah <laughs> <laughs> the uh yeah but on a4 they had a, actually a great picture of her smiling with glasses on and like not looking like a fucking bird like they always try to make her like those stupid memes from those totally yeah like yeah, yeah like low iq meme pages um and it was like and this and that's what i said i said this to my my family i was like dude we're winning like that's what's happening now and it's i'm allowing myself to be hopeful are we in the midst of one of these massive climate change events where all the people who have like when they posted ted cruz's tweet from 2016 saying i'll believe in climate change when texas freezes over and they fucking posted that (laughs) up on on, they retweeted that and it's like yeah, like this is this is a come up. It might be too late. It probably is too late. It is a come up and of a sort that has been long overdue. But there is something good happening in the fact that it's reaching the point that people can no longer deny that these fucking assholes in the ruling class and the bourgeois class do not have your best interests at heart. And people can yeah, see that because at the end of the day, when they're fucking them. lined up in sub-zero temperatures outside a food bank or a grocery store trying to get food for their families, and someone, the one of the only socialists from New York, flies with a goddamn briefcase with $2 million handcuffed to her wrist, that's how I <laughs> picture in my head, comes in and gives money to the food bank outside of which you are lined up, like how can that not fail to be – or how can that not end up as a victory for – a good cause. 
Like, fuck. Yeah, man. I've I've heard a lot of takes where people say like, you know, oh, AOC is very young and she's got like a lot to learn about the political process. And I don't know, like, I allow myself to get hopeful at times because I'm like, dude, she actually has phenomenal political instincts, dude. She saw. Ted Cruz taken off to Cancun and she's like, I'm about to be there, motherfucker. <laughs> and she dude, she executed. Yeah. She fucking did. That there's like the conservative subreddit was losing their fucking minds because they literally cannot square the circle of like the the people who the socialists who have the people's best interests at heart are actually the ones who are gonna save you. Not these fucking psych psychopathic deregulators. Oh my god. It yeah, is awesome. like yeah. the evidence has become is just it's been incontrovertible, but now it's in your fucking face all yeah. the time. And these they cannot hide it anymore. Bro, our planet is fucking dying day by day. Like Australia wildfires and just like the massive all the shit going on in California and now Texas is freezing over. People are starting to realize that this shit is fucked up and we have to do something about it. And like I'm allowing myself to feel a modicum of hope because Jesus Christ, we need it at this point. Yeah, I mean, this might be the thing that they said from Watchmen where it's like, good job, you'll be king of the cinder. You know, and maybe that'll be it. The Socialist Party will rule the after government, after the before times. <laughs> it's <laughs> also the fascists, so yeah. pick which ones you like more. Yeah, and but that being said, at the very least, it's nice to be vindicated. Yeah. So, Like, history validates us once again. Um, yeah. I just wish I was not so right all of the time and could actually like it's a burden institute change it's a burden it really <laughs> yeah. is a burden so. all right uh on on a somewhat hopeful note i'm going to transfer this into our next topic we put a thing on mars and it was pretty fucking cool <laughs> old percy perseverance the mars rover dude i i really don't like all of the takes where people are like why can't we take care of our shit on earth uh, before we start putting stuff onto Mars. And I'm like, can we not just enjoy like human endeavor a little bit? <laughs> yeah. just, and, like, just enjoy the fact that we put like one of the most scientifically advanced fucking contraptions on a different planet. And then I was just like rolling around up there doing cool shit, getting rocks, looking at aliens and stuff. Like, can we not just enjoy that for a second? Like, fuck, we don't have to be cynical about everything. I love Percy. He's great. Little robot with his helicopter. <laughs> yeah, uh, I yeah I agree with that, and it was a NASA excursion, right? Which yeah, is the kind I approve, right? It's not this. It's not Jeff Bezos <laughs> after he left Amazon is like yeah. So Elon Musk blew up two rockets, and NASA landed the thing on Mars. So yeah, <laughs> Elon Musk wants to drive a fucking Tesla over a crater, you know, <laughs> just for an advertisement. <laughs> Like, fuck you, dude, you bimbo. Yeah. yeah, dude, I I fucking love it. I hope we keep landing shit on Mars. Um, anyone who says that, you know, we should be focusing on stuff here on Earth as opposed to, like, on different planets, yes, you're correct, but NASA's budget is, like, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the DoD budget. Um, I think we can square the circle pretty fucking easily. Just take some money away from all of, like, Northrop Grumman or fucking like Oshkosh that's supplying us with a bunch of fucked up Matt V's that don't even work. Just give that shit to NASA and we'll be, we'll be good. We'll be yeah, fine. Yeah. Like you'll get mad at the F 35, which after the money we spent on it should be able to fly to Mars, but it can't. 
waste of taxpayer <laughs> dollars. Like, come on now. Yeah. Like, dude, we could do actual cool shit if we, like, you know, nationalize a lot of this stuff. Like, the fucking coolest thing that the human race has ever done is, like, put someone on the moon if you're not, you know, you're not believing that they're shooting it in a fucking, like, Los Angeles garage or something like that. Um, no, Stanley Kubrick committed it. Go look it up. On the moon. That is the single greatest counterpoint to anyone who's like, the government can't do anything cool. You're like, motherfucker, we put someone on the moon. We just put a yeah. thing on Mars, <laughs> like an Dude. autonomous thing on Mars. That's <laughs> fucking dope as hell. Yeah, and it's like, no, you know what? You're right. We should put an award-winning, like, blue-ribbon uh, middle school on Mars. That's what we'll do next. <laughs> <laughs> we should put the Haverford School yeah. on Mars. <laughs> All right, you ready for this? I'm ready. Smeedly. All right. I think the only way we can introduce our boy, the legend, the hero, the man of our hearts, is with a great, grand, Smedley Butler. My man, old Gimbal and I. Let's fucking talk about Smedley Butler, dude. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that next time I nut. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're not already moaning Smedley, every time that you're fucking some dude, you're wrong, man. Smedley is the only man that should be on your minds. Um, yeah, I actually have it written here. Yeah. I have it written down here. You'll like this. Hit me, hit me. <clears throat> Daddy, hit me, Smedley. Any modern general's wife would elope with Butler and let him fuck her without a condom. Real men are socialists. <laughs> <laughs> Those are your thoughts while you're reading fucking Wars of Racket? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down. <laughs> Whoever inherits this book is going to have to read that. So. <laughs> yeah, I hope like 50 years from now it's something like secondhand used bookstore and like some 12-year-old kid is like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> half price books. Yep, million. that's the plan. Yeah. Fuck yeah. All right, so we're talking Smedley Butler today. The fucking man, the boss. The probably coolest general that has ever existed ever. The coolest officer that has ever existed. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know with if that. I could think of another. I don't know if I could think of anyone else. Um he survived the, the major lobotomy mostly because he just skipped a bunch of steps. <laughs> yeah, I fucking love it. Um all right, so we're talking Smedley Butler today. We're going to go through his life and all of the things that make him great, which are probably just about everything. Yeah, he's literally from after. start to finish. Um, he's just better. Yeah. He's just – All right. someone make a movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Make a movie, but make someone with like a strong jawline play him because oof, oof. <laughs> he has the voice that George C. Scott had when he played Patton in the Oscar Best Picture winning Patton in 1976, I think. Whereas Patton himself had a voice like a fucking squealy little bitch. All right. That's another fact. <laughs> Dude, how do we not have just like statues of him up everywhere? We've got like Patton and MacArthur statues and those dudes are just the biggest pussies. Yeah. Smedley was where it was at. This guy won't. Yeah. No. Like this guy is a far better role model than any of these fucking generals. All right. Smedley Butler, official sponsor of the Pillow Screen Radio podcast. Uh, let's get this started. Smedley Butler was born July 30th, 1881 in Westchester, Pennsylvania. The eldest of three sons. 
His parents were descended from local Quaker families. Both of his parents were entirely English ancestry and had been living in the States for like, I don't know, 200 years at that point or something. His father was a lawyer, a judge, and later served in the House of Representatives for 31 years, serving as the chairman of the House Naval Affairs Committee during the Harding and Cooling administrations. Um, yeah. Our boy Smedley was bougie as fuck when he was a kid. <clears throat> That's for sure. I have a note um, here. It definitely. says middle class with class. <laughs> he was he was definitely a child of privilege, right? Um, and I think the important thing about his dad is the fact that his dad was like literally the civilian oversight for the Marine Corps, and the Navy, for basically the entire time that Smedley was in the service and protected him from a ton of shit. Which means he got to get a he got a lot he got away with a lot of shit that most of us wouldn't have gotten away with. Correct. But it's okay because it's Smedley and he's a fucking baller. He deserved to get um, away with it. He deserved to get away with it. All right, so he attended Butler did Smedley our boy attended the Westchester Friends Graded High School, followed by the Haverford. That's school, such a Quaker school, popular with sons name. of upper class Philadelphia families. Yeah, he uh, he became captain of the school baseball team, man after my own heart, and quarterback of its football team, which slightly less cool. All right, so he attended this BGS high school, played baseball, played football, and was great at both of them. And then, against the wishes of his father, he left school before his thirty-eight days before his seventeenth birthday. Motherfucker was sixteen years old to enlist in the Marines during the Spanish-American War. He lied about his age to receive a direct commission as a Marine second lieutenant, which, frankly, I don't know how that shit works back then, but 16-year-old is a second lieutenant. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's like he probably hit all the stereotypes that every NCO is just like, Jesus Christ, still sucking on his mama's dick, you know, just like looking at him. (laughs) Uh, But he, he, lying about your age to join the military, after my own heart, because though you might not have everything straight up top just yet, because time yet remains for you to figure yourself out, you got heart. And this guy had heart. Apparently, he tried to join the Army and Navy and found out they rejected him because of his age, which means he didn't know about it. And he was just like, well, fuck. And then he went to the Marine, which is how the Marines mostly recruit these days. Uh, and then they go, <laughs> oh, fuck. And then they have to go join the Marines. And he lied this time because he got it right. Like the Air Force Academy cadets did in the 249 uh, people that were in that cheating scandal. <laughs> I love that his dad was the chairman of the House Naval Affairs Committee and was like, motherfucker, you do not join the Navy. Alright, so trained in Washington, D.C. He went to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, arriving shortly after its invasion and capture. Um, I think this is like a trend that you're going to see with Smedley is all of the bad places that America probably should never have been in. Smedley was there at some point, um, which goes on to inform, spoiler alert, some of his later convictions. His awakening. Um, Yep. So he came home to be mustered in February of 1899, but then he almost immediately accepted his commission to first lieutenant uh, at the same time. I don't know what was going on with that. He probably came home, got bored for like a couple of months, as we all do. It was like, fuck this, I'm going back. My family sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So Marine Corps sent him to Manila uh, during the Philippine-American War. Uh, this is one of my favorite lines. On garrison duty with little to do, Butler turned to alcohol to relieve the boredom. Bro. As we all do. Like, <laughs> yes. 
what else <laughs> would you do? I love him. And then for the boys from the beginning. What's the fucking eighteen years old just getting trashed in his hotel room? Just being like, I "Fucking hate this." What's the next line? Because there's a thing where it talks about an undescribed incident. He once became drunk and was temporarily relieved of command after an unspecified incident in his room. So what do you just thoughts? What do you, yeah. <laughs> what do you think the incident was? I have some thoughts. What do you think the thought was? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um. I think his massive 18-inch cock was just, like, knocking shit around in his room, uh, causing a lot of property damage, so they had to relieve him of command. Just like Ron Burgundy, he kept, like, knocking lamps <laughs> over and stuff. It's like, uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Butler, you have a massive erection. It just depletes this. <laughs> uh, Alright, second theory. He constantly had a line of 20 women outside of his room and a couple of men who just all wanted to fuck his brains out. And it was causing uh, issues with morale with the men. I think that's probably what that was second second guess right there. Yeah, I think he got caught with uh, uh, sleeping with someone that was so so such a scandal. It would have been had the the names come out that it was it was it would have been like fucking Teddy Roosevelt's wife or something like that. And the scandal would have come out, and it would have been like, yo, like this eighteen inch cock is gonna ruin the whole United States of America. We gotta watch out. <laughs> And they they buried it. They just relieved him of command temporarily until he could go to Sud Sea for the 1908 Marine Corps, whatever the fuck he was. What was that in the Spanish American War? It was in Cuba. He's, it's like 1899 right now. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Philippine American War. Yeah. Uh, second theory. Uh, he was on his bed, laying on his back, and he and the guy walked in, and he was like, "Hey, watch this. If I beat off, I can hit the ceiling." And then he and then he did he shot a hole through the roof. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just <laughs> fucking yeah. He hit like the fucking the back of the guy sleeping upstairs, and it was like <laughs> they were like, "Yo, this guy's this is too much. We can't do this. It's fucking too much, too much cum power." All right, so Smedley Butler in the Philippine American War. This is where he saw his first combat action. He led three hundred Marines to take the town of Navaleta from Filipino troops of the, uh, from the new Philippine Republic. Um, in the initial moments of his assault, his first sergeant was wounded. Butler briefly panicked, but quickly regained his composure and led his Marines in pursuit of the fleeing enemy. By noon, the Marines had dispersed the native defenders and taken the town. One Marine had been killed, 10 were wounded, and another 50 Marines had been incapacitated by the humid tropical heat. You would know a little bit that, about that, wouldn't you? We're just gonna call me Heat Cat right on the fucking right on the air. <laughs> Hell, fucking Heat Cat, bitch! God, fuck All you. All the Marines Heat Cat. Well, I also lie about it every single time I want to do something cool, like Smedley. Um, so yeah, he, I like the fact they include that he panicked. That's great because that means that he admitted that he panicked because no one else ever yeah. admits that. He was literally like, "Hey, yeah, I was. I for a second there, I was a huge bitch just like every one of you would have been." And then I remembered that I'm not I was you. Absolutely. I'm way better. Myself. And then I remembered I'm in charge of people and I took control of the situation. <laughs> dude, I and I was like, happened. "Dude, like yes. Like where do you want me? Like on the floor, in the kitchen, like wherever. Like let's go." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so after the excitement of this combat garrison duty became routine so smedley smelled blood and <laughs> realized he couldn't go back he couldn't go back <laughs> he's a carnivore he wants meat <laughs> <laughs> he 
I think I think he was just drinking a fuckload at this time. He had a very large eagle globe and anchor tattoo, which started at his throat and extended to his waist. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if this is true or not, but in our hearts it is. Smedley Butler had a massive Marine Corps tattoo, probably tattooed by Sailor Jerry himself. And it was just massive and colorful and just erect the whole time. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, it says on the Wikipedia page, it says citation needed. But I'll tell you that you do not need a citation for my massive erection right now. Like, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> Out of voice, he fucking would, dude. dude he's I'm he's gonna just, get a tattoo. Like that. He's more tatted than I am, and he was a fucking Marine Corps officer before 1900. Like, what the fuck, dude? Such a fucking dude, he's badass. 19 years old or whatever has already led people into combat. Is drunk constantly and has a massive tattoo. He's just he's that dude, guy. And that man, that's a real spirit. Like, that's a real that's fucking a human person right there. I fucking love yeah. Him. So. It was during the Philippine-American War that he met his boy, Littleton Waller, a fellow Marine, that he maintained a lifelong friendship. This boy eventually, I think, was his best man in his wedding. Um, Waller received command of the company in Guam and was able to select five officers, I guess, platoon commanders to go after him. Butler was one of them. Um, They were set to go to Guam and then shipped out instead to the Boxer Rebellion. Oof. He took part in the Battle of uh, Tien San. Say that. Yep, <laughs> on July thirteenth, nineteen hundred, um, during which he saw the mutilated remains of Japanese soldiers. When he saw another Marine officer fall wounded, he climbed out of a trench to rescue him. Bus Butler was then himself shot in the thigh. Another Marine helped get him to safety, but was also shot. Despite his leg wound, Butler assisted the wounded officer to the rear. Butler's commanding officer, our boy, Major Waller, personally commended him. So at this time, commissioned officers were not actually eligible to receive the Medal of Honor. So instead, he got promoted by brevet to captain, which means he received the rank of captain without like any of the associated responsibilities or command or anything like that, but got all of the pay. So Motherfucker was a captain before his... 19th birthday. He's 18 year old captain, Dude. which is absolute ball. Sploosh. Yes. <laughs> All right. So Butler goes on to participate in a series of occupations and interventions throughout C- Central America and the Caribbean, commonly known as the Banana Wars, because um, we had to make money off of bananas at that time, I guess. <laughs> uh, he had to protect American commercial interests in the region particularly those of the United Fruit Company. This company had significant financial stakes in the production of bananas, tobaccos, cigars, uh, sugar cane, and other products. And Smedley essentially went around as like a series of like corporate invasions of South American countries to ensure that, you know, they wouldn't nationalize all of the land that rightfully belonged to the United Fruit Company and American capitalists, you know? Okay, moving so lightly over that age, whole fact, yeah. Let's just continue because it's good. We're building yeah, so, up to something, we are building up to something. If you can't tell, yeah, so this podcast, we're holding it, we're holding it in. Continue, <laughs> hold the calm, hold the calm. <laughs> um, yeah, so if very like if you're not starting to pick up the theme, is he's involved in a lot of imperialist projects throughout, throughout like 
the like the major period of U.S. imperialism where we're literally taking over like Guam and Puerto Rico and shit like that. Like Smedley is directly involved with a lot of those things. Uh, one of the things he was involved in was Honduras. He was stationed in Puerto Rico. Um, hearing rumors of a Honduran revolt, the United States government ordered his unit and a naval detachment to defend the U.S. consulate there. Um, let's see, let's see. I don't know. They're, like, running up and down the coast in, like, a converted banana boat, which I think is fucking hilarious. Just, like, one of those, like, little pontoon-looking things with, yeah. like, a, like, a roof over it, and, and, like, him and his boys are just, like, looking out. <laughs> All right, so uh, I th- I think the coolest this like just picture picture this scene, right? So Smedley and his boys are rolling up in a banana boat. They get to Trujillo, which is where the American consulate is. They're hearing gunfire, like the the rebels and the the native forces are like firing at each other. Or the rebels and the Honduran government are fighting firing at each other. Smedley roll and his boys roll up on the boat. All the shots go silent. He rolls up to the consulate. Grabs, <laughs> grabs the consul who is wrapped in an American <laughs> flag, hiding among the four beams. <laughs> yeah, they state and walks that out of there. They state that and matter then when of they fact. leave, <laughs> and then when they leave, the fighting starts again. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was like Children of Men, where they hear the baby crying and everyone just stops yes. shooting, and he just walks in. He's like. I'm here for my console. <laughs> takes him off, walks out of the town. It's like, holy, like who the fuck was this dude? I love it. I'm, I'm here for the actual baby wrapped in the American flag. He's hiding under the floorboard. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot okay, so, this. Uh, I came yeah, to get yeah. this flag that happens to be wrapped around this piece of shit console. <laughs> All right, so this is where he earns his nickname, Old Gimel and I. Mm-hmm. It was attributed to his feverish, bloodshot eyes. He was suffering from an unnamed tropical fever at the time that enhanced his penetrating stare. And that's, yeah, <laughs> I like that because that's definitely, it sounds like it's written by one of the many women who slept with him. They were just like, he just had these <laughs> these eyes, <laughs> these damn eyes. But he, it's a recurring theme is he had fevers all the fucking time. And he was like, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. And kept, it's like, like my life is pain and yeah. suffering and I'm still going to go fuck these dudes up. I know? think, yeah, I mean, I might be crossing my stories here, but he had actually uh, been awarded for uh, valor and bravery with 104 degree fever during one of those that yeah. they didn't even know about. Oh, you're correct. Yeah. All right, so after Honduras, our boy Smedley returns home, gets married, has some kids, starts a little business. I think the business, like, I'm like, he owned a coal mine in West Virginia for, excuse me, for like a couple months. Yeah, he tried to be a capitalist, and then he realized that it fucking, you know, isn't for human beings. Yeah. Um, he named his boy Smedley Darlington Jr., just phenomenal name. Um, okay, so he goes home for a little bit, gets married, has some kids, um, doesn't do anything interesting and then heads back to Central America to Nicaragua. Um, yeah, this is the the 104 degree fever. With 104 degree fever, he led his battalion to the relief of a rebel besieged city, Granada. Um, yeah, I, they they have some fighting in Granada. He's just doing imperialist bullshit over there. Um, kind of same old, same old for Smedley at this point. Um, our boy loves being drunk and fighting, so. 
After this, he heads to Veracruz, Mexico, where he this is where he gets his first Medal of Honor. He was living in Panama at the time, was ordered to report to a battleship squadron massing off the coast of Mexico to monitor a revolutionary movement. And this is where we're talking about like some serious James Bond shit right here. Um, okay, so he goes ashore to Veracruz, where he is supposed to be meeting like a superintendent of the railway or something like that. Mm-hmm. And purportedly they're like, they're looking for one of their workers that's, that's like lost. Right. Um, except the whole point of the mission is that like Smithley's going like literally spying on the troops of Mexico, essentially just reporting back on like their arms concentrations and like personnel concentrations. Yeah. He was like um, walking around in civvies essentially pretending to be yeah. a railway executive looking for a missing railway yep. employee or something. Yep. Um, and the whole time he was just taking notes on like the distribution of forces within the city. Uh, all because Woodrow Wilson was like real fucking close to actually invading and taking over Mexico <laughs> at that point. Um, yeah, so he had, Woodrow Wilson had actually sent a contingent of Marines and sailors to Veracruz and uh, to Veracruz to intercept an arms shipment. Um, there was a couple of days of street fighting and sniper fire. At which point, like, Butler's forces were, like, holed up in Veracruz. And Woodrow Wilson was, like, about to essentially just, like, step off and just say, fuck it, we're, we own Mexico now. Um, but at a certain point, Woodrow Wilson decided to minimize bloodshed, change their plans a little bit from a full invasion to just, like, simply holding the city of Veracruz. And then this is where Butler got his first Medal of Honor. And I think this is a this is one of those ones where you, you read it and you're like, my battalion commander just got an MSM for like for telling all of his lieutenants to plan something like plan this like certain operation or something like Smedler Smedley clearly didn't really do anything to deserve the Medal yeah, of Honor. But I he said that. He knew this. And thing. he tried to fucking yeah, send it back. He was like, fuck <laughs> yeah. your medal. What the fuck is this? Yeah, so the army gave one medal of honor, Marines gave nine, and then the Navy gave 46 medals of honor <laughs> during this time. And everyone was kind of just like, yo, what the fuck? Like, why are we just handing out medals of honor like they're fucking smarties? Um, it's something they do when they know the war is unjustifiable. It's exactly like they did. Yeah. The more Vietnam yeah, went on, exactly. they started upping the medal awardings. Yeah, yeah. As Woodrow Wilson was very clearly trying to, like, create like an image or like an icon of like heroism around the war. Like look at our boys fighting in Mexico where they had no fucking right to be there. In the yeah. First place. And he overdo it. So and all the soldiers and Marines were like, what the, f- what? <laughs> yeah. Yo. <laughs> and yeah. And like you said, Smedley knew this and attempted to return the middle of honor, but was essentially ordered. Like you're going to fucking wear it. <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> I feel weird about this. But okay. like, fine. Mom. Um, like Jesus. <laughs> all right. After Mexico, our boy, our gentleman, Major Butler, goes to Haiti. Uh, let's see. Dude, I don't even know how to, how, how to say this word. 400 cacos, cacaos, um, whatever, I'm not going to say it. Um, ambush Butler's patrol um, around Fort Ditti. So, surrounded, the Marines maintained their perimeter throughout the night. The next morning, they charged the much larger enemy force by breaking out in three directions. The startled Haitians fled. Uh, which, that's like, what the fuck is... <laughs> what are you Dude, doing? My fucking mic just came off. <laughs> my fucking mic just came off. <laughs> I have to, like... 
I know this is an, uh, primarily an audio experience for our listeners, but Alex is trying to figure out how the fuck a microphone works. So let's let's restart Haiti. All right. So in 1915, the Haitian president was killed by a mob. In response, the United States ordered the USS Connecticut to Haiti with Major Butler and a group of Marines on board. They got ambushed and Butler's patrol of 44 Marines when they approached Fort Dipti. Surrounded, the Marines maintained their perimeter throughout the night, and then the next morning, they charged the much larger enemy force by breaking out in three directions. We all know where that fucking idea came from. Ya boy, Smedley. Um, <laughs> what was that? What's that? Uh, dude, what's that one fucking quote? It's like, um, they have us surrounded. The poor fools. The poor bastards. <laughs> like, Yeah. Um, well, I like the one from World War II where it was... Uh, I'd, I'd wrote a thing on it. It was... Uh, BG uh, Brigadier General McAuliffe, I think, where the the uh, Germans sent him a uh, like a, a notice that he's surrounded on all sides and needs to surrender, and he says his response was nuts, <laughs> and that was the kind of energy. <laughs> that's the kind of energy Smedley's given. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they break out. The startled Haitians fled. A force of, uh, in early November, Butler and a force of 700 Marines and sailors returned to the mountains to clear the area. They fought off an attack from some of the rebels. And after the Americans took several forts in the area during the following days, only one fort was left. And then Butler was given three companies of Marines and some sailors, about 100 men in total. They encircled this last fort and gradually closed in on it. Butler reached the fort from the southern side with one of the companies of men found a small opening in the wall. Then the Marines entered through the opening, engaged the rebels in hand-to-hand combat. Butler of the Marines took the rebels' stronghold on November 17th, an action for which he received his second Medal of Honor as well as the Haitian Medal of Honor. The entire battle lasted less than 20 minutes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dude, <laughs> he literally did Helm's Deep, and he was the Urukai. <laughs> yeah. but so the one guy with, like charging just like yeah. getting arrows in him all the time he's yeah. got the fucking torch he's about to go blow up oh him. god damn what a man <laughs> only one marine was injured in the assault he was struck by a rock and lost two teeth <laughs> <laughs> butler's exploits this time impressed assistant secretary of the navy franklin d roosevelt who recommended the award the medal of honor based on butler's performance during the engagement Let's see. Once the medal was approved and presented in 1917, he was one of two Marines to receive the Medal of Honor. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, he was one of two Marines to receive the Medal of Honor twice at this point. All right. Let's see. 
Under his supervision, so social order administered by the dictatorship of Haiti at this time was largely restored, mm-hmm. and many vital public works projects were successfully completed. He recalled, Smedley at this point, recalled later, that during his time in Haiti, he and his troops hunted the rebels like pigs. Yeah, keep this in mind. Kind of just reemphasizing the point that, like, Smedley was an absolute tool of imperialism for a signi- almost his entire career. And it took him probably a long time to realize that because the entire time he was an entirely effective administrator and like combatant commander, essentially just really fucked up a lot of people, extremely competent guy to the point that it's like kind of freaky. Yeah. Um, He was really good at doing something really bad. Yeah. Yep. Which is so essential for his character. During world war one, Butler wanted to get assigned to the front lines, but didn't actually, wasn't actually assigned to a combatant command on the Western Front. While Butler's superiors considered him brave and brilliant, they described him as unreliable. Pause. What does that mean to you, Alex? That means that some of his superiors, some of his superiors, came down with like, "Hey, we have this great plan for like this invasion and this way to like set up this munitions depot." And Spenley's like, "You're fucking retarded. I'm not doing that." <laughs> So they now considered him unreliable because Smedley was smarter than all of them and didn't want to do the fucking dumb shit that they said. Yes, unreliable means that he didn't always say yes. They're saying, I couldn't rely on him to always agree with me. That's what it means. If you're called unreliable, good for you. Continue to be that way. (laughs) Yeah. Man after my own heart. Mm. All right. So he was rep- he was promoted to the rank of brigadier general in 1918 at the age of 37, which Jesus Christ, 37 year old general. Fuck yeah. Um, he was placed in command of the largest deparkation depot in World War One. This was essentially like the the station through which they funneled all of the troops that were going to the Western Front. Yeah, uh, think like Kuwait or something for the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah, um, when he got there, he just realized, like, the whole entire camp fucking sucked. Like, Everyone all was getting the soldiers sick. that were coming through were just, like, sleeping in mud. Um, it was sanitary. It was unsanitary, overcrowded, disorganized. Like, dude, I, I think back to, like, heading out to JRTC and shit like that. And the fact that our battalion commander, like, caused us to like essentially deployed to the field seven days early because he wanted us to be in the suck while we moved all our fucking equipment around in connexes. I was like, Oh, I fucking hate you so much. Smedley essentially saw that and was like, yo, fuck this. <laughs> We're not doing this anymore. Um, the ground under quote, the ground under the tents was nothing but mud. So he had raided the wharf of the duckboards no longer needed for the trenches, carted the first one up himself up the four-mile hill to the camp, and provided something in the way of protection for the men to sleep on. So this motherfucker got to the camp, looked around, was like, yo, my boys are sucking right now. Went down to the dock, carried the fucking, like, two-by-fours so that some of the dudes could sleep on not mud. He just did this himself. This earned Butler the nickname Old Duckboard. That's an Which, apocryphal tale, actually, about Leonidas as well, when they had to build the wall oh, yeah. at Thermopylae. I know Stephen Pressfield wrote it in that book, Gates of Fire, but they said uh, these engineers were arguing all day long about how to build a wall, and Leonidas was just, like, fed up with it. So he looked over at the where the wall needed to be, walked down, grabbed a rock, picked it up, 
pulled it over, put it down exactly where the engineers were talking about building the wall, walked down, picked another rock up, walked back over, put it down. And then by this point, someone freaked the fuck out and was like, are you just going to let your king go build a fucking wall by himself? Go help him. <laughs> and they had the wall built in six hours. It was like yeah. fantastic. That's exactly what happened, which is why I have on my notes here, Smedley equals Leonidas. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have a massive brain i love witnessing it over here um okay so he got the nickname old duckboard from just actually giving a shit about the people who served under underneath him um goes on after world war one uh to be the commanding general of the marine barracks at quantico and he was essentially the guy that made it so that any of us know what Quantico is. Like Quantico was kind of just like a shithole before that. He transformed it into essentially like the premier training camp for the Marines. Um, one of the ways that he did this was like putting on massive shows of like marching with all of the Marines, which Civil War reenactments. Yeah, not gonna lie, I hate marching, but um yeah, he did a lot of like civil I know you war do. reenactments and stuff like that. Essentially just yeah, essentially just made Quantico suck slightly less, I guess. Um, cool. All right, this this is actually like an, the next phase of his life, but actually kind of an interesting one. So, let's see. In 1924, the newly elected mayor of Philadelphia asked President Calvin Coolidge to lend the city a military general to help him rid... Philadelphia of crime and corruption. <laughs> so at the urging of his father, Butler's father, the one who's like serving on the Naval Commission uh, in Congress, Coolidge authorized General Butler to take leave from the Marine Corps and essentially ad like administer public safety for Philadelphia. Um, he, he took over like all of the fire departments, the police departments and just like militarized them. Which, you know, I'm not a fan of, but the fact that he's, like, literally a, a Marine general, he knows only one thing to do, and he's very effective at it. And he, so he just, essentially just, like, militarizes the Philadelphia police force. And the police force at this time was, like, extremely corrupt, where, like, the, the police chiefs were just running, like, uh, just essentially just running rackets all of the time. Um, there was not a single innocent cop because all of them were running like protection rackets and like like gambling rings and shit like that yeah um, which i'll say was, like it is you are correct that he did basically waged war on american soil as an advisor essentially the stand-in for the philadelphia chief of police but he yeah. he did do a thing where it was anti-corruption which is the number one thing that is wrong with our government is they're fucking corrupt they all give a shit more about money than they do about people and so he just broke them off entirely from their sources of funding he like shuffled them around he moved cops and units around from city to city or from part of the city to part of the city and made it so that their whole protection rackets and their their uh schemes just fell apart and it's like yeah. i think that's an awesome thing to do frankly i mean he did a whole bunch of other shit probably not right Probably not great, but screwing up a bunch of corrupt ass police officers, that'd be great. I should then should have sent them to Milwaukee. Yeah, so within 48 hours, within two days of taking over, he had organized raids on more than 900 speakeasies. 
he literally like went over to the, the speakeasies and just padlocked their doors shut just <laughs> against their will, just through like chain through the fucking like door handles, padlocked them shut and just like threw away the keys. And so like you're not in business anymore. Sorry about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, also I like drinking. Down, I'm like, drinking now. I don't support yeah, that. He but, was tracking down like yeah. bootlegging, prostitution, gambling, police corruption, all this kind of stuff. Um, I like this is where he kind of fucked up in the idea in like the eyes of some people he ordered crackdowns on the social elite's favorites favorite hangouts such as the ritz carlton and the union league so essentially so like dude he showed he showed like no bias whatsoever he just went through fucked over a lot of people and made sure that the rich and like socially connected were also included in that and that's where he fucked up because everyone loved what he was doing up until that point and that's when you start seeing like some of the the politicians and like uh like union bosses and stuff come out starting to like decry smedley's reign essentially um he was effective in reducing crime and police corruption but he was controversial obviously um let's see Although many of the local citizens and police felt that the raids were just a show, they continued for several weeks. He implemented programs to improve, to improve city safety and security, established policies and guidelines of administration, and developed a Philadelphia police uniform that resembled that of the Marine Corps. So he's just <laughs> essentially doing being a Marine in Philadelphia, all being over Philadelphia. Marine, yeah. Military-style checkpoints in the city, bandit chasing squads armed with sawed-off shotguns. <laughs> Literally, dude, he just turned Philadelphia into GTA, and I fucking love it. Um, yeah, so the press was reporting on him the whole time. Uh, they were like praising him for a while, and then he started, you know, raiding the rich people, and then they all slowly started turning. Then it was so, a problem. You know, he's yeah. actually, he's actually like way too tough for Philadelphia. Um, one of the things I want to highlight: Butler frequently swore in his radio addresses, causing many citizens to suggest his behavior, particularly his language, was inappropriate for someone of his rank and stature. And I just want to say, "Fuck yes, Smedley!" <laughs> Dude, yeah, I'm. I feel such a kinship with someone who curses when it's not Did appropriate. You? That's so great. Yes, yes. Like, Dude, he got up in like the 1920s or whatever the fuck this is equivalent of like a uh, like a radio broadcast. He's like, y'all motherfuckers need to behave. <laughs> yes, he was like Samuel L. Jackson, just in yeah. all over the place. It's great. Um, so he did this for like two years or so, right? And then eventually, like people were getting tired of him. It's like, all right, Smedley, like you did great, but yeah, time to get the fuck out of here. Um, in light of his pending departure, Smedley Butler began to defy the mayor and other key city officials. On the eve of his departure, he had an article printed in the paper stating his intention to stay and finish the job. The mayor was surprised and furious when he read the press release the next morning and demanded Smedley's resignation. After almost two years in office, Butler resigned under pressure, stating later that cleaning up Philadelphia was worse than any battle I was ever in. Yeah, I mean, he essentially treated it like an occupation, right? If yeah, he, he occupied Philadelphia. He's, Probably not great, but yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, this is, just just to be clear, audience, we're still in Smedley's pre-woke period. So. Pre-woke period, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, didn't have, <laughs> he didn't have Reddit in podcasts at this time. So. Yeah, yeah, he didn't He didn't have two dudes and ten listeners to tell him he was fucked up. All right, so, <laughs> dude, I don't know. He probably wouldn't have gotten to the position that he was in to be such a legend if he hadn't done some of this fucked up stuff. Um, he did. He did like a period of duty in San Diego, director of public safety. 
Um, but eventually, like his his leave time ran out, and the president refused to sign an extension, and he got kind of like assumed back to the Marine Corps. Right? Um, let's see. He did uh, some time in China. <clears throat> while there, while in China, he cleverly parlayed his influence among various generals and warlords to the protection of U.S. interests, ultimately winning the public acclaim of contending Chinese leaders. When he returned to the United States in 1929, he was promoted to Major General at the age of 48, becoming the youngest Major General in the Marine Corps. However, at this time, it was the death of his father on 26 May 1928 that ended the congressman's ability to protect Smedley from political retribution for his outspoken views. <laughs> this is like, this is, this is the point where you realize everything he's been getting away with up until this point is literally because his dad was on Congress and like yeah. a part of the Naval Commission making sure that his son didn't get into trouble for any of his like just wacky shit he was doing. Yep, he had an umbrella shielding him from some of the bullshit. After his time in Philadelphia, he does a little bit of bullshit in San Diego. He does a little bit of time in China and stateside. I think one of the only relevant things around this time is the fact that he talked a bunch of shit about Benito Mussolini, who everyone in America was fucking in love with in the 30s, right, dude? Like, fascism went through this period where, like, Time magazine was, like, putting uh, Hitler on their cover and everything. Uh, Benito Mussolini was this visionary who was transforming politics over in Europe, and a bunch of fucking capitalists were just in love with these guys. And Benito, or uh, excuse me, Butler was just like, yo, actually, these guys are pieces of shit, <laughs> which earned him the ire of the president at the time, our boy, uh, let's see, Hoover, who strongly disliked Butler and caused him to get. Uh, God seems to get court-martialed at this time. He was the first general officer since the Civil War to get placed under arrest. Which <laughs> no, is dope. It's like, you ever see it's a general awesome. officer getting arrested? It's like, yo, dude, he either really fucked up or he's a fucking G. That's awesome. Yeah, just no filter butler. Uh, this caused him to get looked over for a couple of promotions. Um, the outspokenness that characterized his run-ins with the mayor of Philadelphia the unreliability mentioned by his superiors and his comments about Benito Mussolini resurfaced. In the, in the end, he got passed up for a couple of promotions. And I think at this point, he just requested retirement because fuck that, honestly. You got to make sure that all of your, your senior generals are complicit in the war crimes that you're trying to do. <laughs> it's true. It's all right, like so, a fact. Yeah, so... Our boy retires and starts his post-Marine Corps career, where he's essentially just speaking and lecturing the whole time. At this point, he was donating a lot of his earnings from like his speaking tours to the Philadelphia Unemployment Relief. He toured the Western United States, made a bunch of speeches, um, returned for his daughter's wedding, in which uh, this is the only time that he wore his dress blue uniform after he left his Marines. Frankly, that's one too many. So I'm not putting him on my uniform ever again. <laughs> I fucking leave. Um, all right. You don't have a daughter. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he ran for he ran for Senate at one point. Didn't do too hot. Um, just he started getting involved in politics. I guess yeah, he was too far ahead of his like, time. This is uh, what's up. He's too far ahead of his time. Yeah, he was like, this "Yo, I'm gonna where... occupy every fucking." 
city in this state on conduct a war on crime. I'm going to close every speakeasy ever. This is where our boy Smedley starts radicalizing here. All right. So if you don't know what the bonus army is, the bonus army was a bunch of World War I veterans who were essentially promised like certificates or bonds that were worth, I don't know, like tens of thousands of dollars at the time, which is like a significant amount of money that was supposed to provide for their retirement. Like those bonds matured 20 years or whatever. But during the Great Depression, a lot of these World War I veterans were like, I want to cash out my bonds right fucking now because I need the money and my family is actually starving in the streets. So these World War I veterans were petitioning Congress to try to get their, to like allow Congress to certify their bonds or whatever the fuck it was, um, essentially pay out what they needed to survive right there. And they started camping out in front of Congress, essentially, um, they, they called them like Hoovervilles at, at this time where they just had camps because they had, they had nowhere else to go. They were all evicted. They didn't have any money. They couldn't pay rent. Yeah, um, think Occupy Wall so Street, just, but they had no homes to go back to. So they were just yeah, on the fucking exactly. they're all, White House they're lawn all veterans who had lost limbs, who had lost brothers and family members to an imperialist war for fucking World War One. Um, who Smedley himself would say that we never should have been in. Um, and they wanted their dues, essentially, just to survive. And Congress, of course, like, deliberated over it for a fucking long time and then decided, no, actually, you're not getting any money. In which case, the Bonus Army, who are these, all these people camped out in front of Congress, just didn't leave. They said, fuck this. <laughs> like, we're staying here. We have nowhere else to go. Yeah, so here's good. Um, <laughs> I like it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck it. Um yeah, and Smedley, like, actually went to these guys because, like, they're his boys, you know? Like, these are the guys that he served with. He he walked through the camps. Um, he's one of those guys. Camps, he's, like a, he's like a Mattis or something. Like, everyone knew who he was. If there had been memes yeah. in that day, there would have been memes about this guy. Like, he yeah. was famous among yeah. soldiers. He, he was Marines. walking through the camps. He and his son, like, spent the night with the camps, like, ate and drank with a lot of the, the veterans that were there camped out. And he gave a speech to all of the veterans. Uh, he instructed them to keep their sense of humor and cautioned them not to do anything that would cost public sympathy. <laughs> um, here's where my least favorite general in the entire fucking world, in the entire American history, comes <laughs> Who is it? Who is it, my boy? Jim? It's a uh, big Dougie, Dougie MacArthur. Dude, oh fuck you, Doug MacArthur. All right, so MacArthur comes through, disperses the Bonus Army at the behest of Congress with like literal horses, tanks, and gas, and like actually kills people, like kills veterans, kills, kills veterans, World War One veterans um, died at yes. American hands. Yes, died to Douglas MacArthur uh, because. He was doing what Congress told him to do. Um, because he's an ambitious piece of shit. During the conflict, several veterans, and I believe, like, I believe a wife and her child, like her her unborn child, because she was pregnant at the time, died to gas at this point. Um, absolutely despicable. This was like, this, I, I, I'm kind of like reading between the lines here, but I can 100% imagine this being like the radicalizing moment for smedley right yeah because that speech like, he gave he that takes, speech he gave which i've yeah. seen the video clips of him going up there and talking to veterans saying makes me so damn mad a whole lot of people speak of you as tramps by god they didn't speak of you as tramps in 1917 and 18 no <laughs> uh, 
let me tell you, let me tell you something. I've been all over the world. I've seen you fellas on the streets in Washington. There isn't this well-behaved group of citizens in the world that's sitting right in this camp. Take it from me. This is the greatest demonstration of Americanism we've ever had. Pure Americanism. Willing to take this beating as you've taken it. Stand right steady. You keep every law. And why in the hell shouldn't you? Who in the hell has done all the bleeding for this country and for this law and, and this constitution anyhow but you fellas? You know, like all these, these great yeah. lines where he's telling like, hey, you are worth this. Don't give up the fight. Stay here. Keep doing this. You're doing something good. Not even, yeah. not even 10 days later, fucking MacArthur and his piece of shit bonus breaking army is out there running over people with fucking tanks. It's insane. Yeah. How could yeah. it not be his so, radicalizing moment? If anyone tells you that MacArthur was like a good general, just, you know, they're fucking talking shit. All right. So it's like, it's around this time that a lot of his public speaking starts turning like heavily anti-imperialist because he's kind of had a reckoning of everything he's been doing for the past forever, for the past like 20 years is essentially just at the behest of like American corporate interests, like with, with the, the banana wars and everything, literally just doing things, not because, you know, America needs to be defended or because like their citizens are unsafe or anything like that. It's literally just because people need to make fucking money and they can conscript American working class people to do it on their behalf, you know? And he starts realizing this and he starts giving this as part of all of his lectures. Butler became widely known for his outspoken lectures against war profiteering, U.S. military adventurism, and what he viewed as nascent fascism in the United States. He toured the country to recruit members for the veterans of foreign wars, which like at this point was against, uh, let me see, the American Legion, because he was convinced that the American Legion were like funded by corporate interests. So he was touring for the veterans of foreign wars. He Pause. described their efforts Pause. as... Pause. Yep. American Legion was deliberately designed by these people as a, a model. They were modeled off of European veterans associations, which could be leveraged as basically a Boy Scouts. But because Boy Scouts was before you joined the military, it was like a Boy mm -hmm. Scouts for after you leave the military. They could organize you all, keep you in a sort of semi-uniform, and use you politically when it comes time to overthrow the elected government and to install a fascist regime. The American Legion was expressly formed for that purpose. That yeah. is the exact reason they wanted to organize veterans. Too many spoilers now, all right? Um, he described, Smedley described their efforts as trying to educate the soldiers out of the sucker class, <laughs> which I, I find that fucking hilarious. Using <laughs> yes. that class terminology and like, you motherfuckers are suckers. <laughs> yeah, it's the bourgeoisie, the proletariat, and the suckers. The Veterans of Foreign Wars reprinted one of his speeches with the title, You Got to Get Mad, which, Jim, I know you'll appreciate that one. Yeah, it's like Paddy Shayevsky had to know what he was fucking talking about when he writes the screenplay for Network. There's no way yeah, he yeah. doesn't know about that. He said, I believe in taking Wall Street by the throat and shaking it up. He believed that rival veterans groups such as the American Legion were controlled by banking interests. On December 8th, 1933, he said, I had never known one leader of the American Legion who had never sold them out. I mean... In addition to his speeches to pacifist groups, 
He was a spokesman for the American League Against War and Fascism. He wrote the expose War is a Racket, Condemnation of the Profit Motive Behind Warfare, which I think both of us have read at this point. And if you're a veteran listening to this podcast, all 10 of you, you need to read it. It's fucking phenomenal. Yeah, it's he, brilliant. Yeah. He, <laughs> what, what I say, like, Smedley comes across as just the sassiest of bitches. Just it's just a like, sassy bitch. Before anyone <laughs> was a sassy bitch, it was like he didn't have, like I said, he never read it. He didn't have fucking Twitter. He didn't have anything yeah. that would have made it okay for this. He was just like sarcastic to all hell and all over yeah. this fucking little pamphlet he put out. It's so fucking great. I love it. Yeah, but I, the the thing that stuck out to me is because he actually did his research a little bit. And he did. He had numbers of, like, and facts pamphlet. and names yeah. of corporations. He's that like, benefit. hey, look at like American Steel raised their profits by like like eleven hundred percent. You know, 110 times the profits during this war. He was talking about, like, all of those uh, those fucking boots that fit nobody. They ordered more boots than, like, actual GIs existed in the military at that time. Yeah, so they, they ordered eight, eight pairs of shoes for every soldier. He says, well, yeah. we only had one when we were fighting wars. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then mosquito so, netting. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, dude, you see the same shit today. How many fucking connexes just full of, like, high-tech bullshit that doesn't actually, like, communicate with anything? Just sitting in your fucking connexes that you all have to, like, inventory every goddamn day yep. so that Congress yep. knows that you're not wasting their money, but you never actually fucking use it. I remember just in the last probably year or two having to move by hand 800 camo nets off of a blacktop that these semi-trucks had dropped for us. And they were all boxed up and everything because they said we needed them. I'm like, 800 fucking Caminets for who? And they said, for your company. <laughs> I'm like, 800 Caminets for my goddamn company? That's You want fucking six and a half Caminets for every soldier in my goddamn company? Are you kidding me? Well, oh, these are yeah. the big ones, like the massive hexagon Caminets? Yeah, the, the Olcans, the ultimate camouflage Jesus net system. Christ. Yeah. Yeah, it's dude. It's the same fucking thing. I, I want to read a quote from from Smedley right here. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to channel him to the best of my ability. It's a fucking fiery quote. <laughs> I spent 33 years and four months in active military service, and during that period, I spent most of my time as a high class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street and the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. I helped make Mexico and especially Tampico safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National Citibank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the intentional for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in 1902 to 1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for the American sugar interests in 1916. I helped to make Honduras right for the American fruit companies in 1903. In China in 1927, I helped see to it that Standard Oil went on its way unmolested. Looking back on it, I might have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was operate a racket in the three districts. I operated on three continents. God damn. What a fucking God son of a me. bitch. I love him. Dude, the table of contents for this book in which he expresses these uh, uncontroversial and humble opinions. Uh, chapter one, war is a racket. Chapter two, who makes the profits? 
Chapter 3, Who Pays the Bills? Chapter 4, How to Smash This Racket! Exclamation point. Chapter 5, To Hell with War! Exclamation point. <laughs> I fucking love it. If every book in America was written the way this guy wrote that, fucking A, we'd be better off. So, our boy Smedley has been touring America for a little bit after his retirement, talking against imperialism, talking against fascism. He wrote his book, War is a Racket. And then uh, in probably the most intelligent thing that uh, American business interests have ever engaged in, uh, <laughs> they tried to recruit him for what later became known as the business plot. The uh, business plot. <laughs> really basic name, honestly. I think they did that on purpose. They tried to make it. So as- we get washed out in every Google search for the rest of the time. They should have yeah. called it Ameri- <laughs> American Fascist Coup. Google existed. Oh, no, but it's 100% like a deliberate ploy to try to minimize just like the impact of it. Like the, the business plot. That sounds just like Cruella DeVille trying to like sell the skins of Dalmatians or something like that. You're just like, you're so used to it at this point. Yeah, you're but, used to business plots. That's what you engage with every day as a consumer. No, this was an, yeah. a, 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 a coup attempt by would-be American fascists. This would make headlines around the world were it to happen in any other country on the planet. But no, in the United States, it had to be buried. Because one of those fascists was William Randolph Hearst, the press syndicate, or syndicate advocate. Piece of shit. Same guy that makes yeah, weed uh, illegal, by the way. If you, don't, if you can't smoke weed right now, he's why. Oh, hot takes. So, do you want to take us to the business part, Jim? Uh, so, yeah, you know what? I'm going to freestyle it. And if I fuck it up, you can let me know and step in. But, good. okay, business plot was essentially for some context, right? We've already talked about how American business was sympathetic to European fascism. They admired European fascism because fascism in Europe had been – well, it had functioned essentially to make an environment that was extremely hospitable to uh, business interests. In fact, the fascists right. in Germany, I think by that book by Michael Parenti, had, had shown that the early Nazi party with their police clubs and wh- whatnot had served as strike breakers before they were ever anything more than that. They were fundamentally yeah. uh, a method for breaking labor interests and establishing business interests as being superior. And that's essentially the inspiration for American would-be fascism among major industrialists. Now, these industrialists managed to keep their names out of the paper, but a group of them got together. They elect, they found one guy who would represent them uh, by going out to recruit key members. They all thought the same way that Europeans, by looking at the European model, they all figured that you would need, quote, unquote, a dictator on a horse to sweep in and to basically capture the, the nation's emotions and to rally them behind someone that they respected universally who was essentially beyond reproach. So they were looking they, for this they, kind they of – They specifically needed the general that the soldiers loved, right? Like a, a man that was – for the boys, you know, and Smedley, Smedley fit this bill to the T because his fucking men loved him because he clearly gave a shit about them. Yes. He was literally sleeping in the, the Hooverville camps with them during the, uh, 
during the uh, what was it the bonus army stuff. Yeah. Right. So they did the yeah they did some investigations into the way European fascism had come about, and they saw that there was an essentially one of the essences in the sense that you talked about with class essentialism. One of the common characteristics that defined each of these regimes was in fact a a, a military class that had uh, a significant role in state affairs and the conduct of state business as well as the enforcement of state norms. So yeah. they said, okay, this, the military, American military is critical. The American to Legion came in, right? Yes. Like, this, like American Legion was very much funded corporately because they wanted kind of like a base of disaffected veterans who they could, you know, maybe spin up into an actual army, people who had military training in order to enact a fascist coup. And they thought that Smedley Butler would be able of, would like would be able to harness this essentially and get yeah. the soldiers on his side in support of whatever fucking scheme they come up with. This thing this thing is so fascinating. It's worth doing a podcast of equal length to the hour and thirty seven minutes we've already recorded on this one. But the yeah. you're exactly right. The miscalculation on the part of these business leaders. They looked at these European fascist regimes. They said this is good for business. They looked at the way those fascist regimes came about. They said they usually used soldiers and veterans as a sort of moral mandate to make these things come about. And they said, okay, what do we have here? They'd already seeded it, the idea with the American Legion. They had already laid groundwork by talking to one another, by organizing funding. They were ready to spend, quote, unquote, half of their wealth to secure the other half. So what did they do? They said, what military leader? who has a strong record of imperialist behaviors, who has always defended business when it needed defending, who has always secured financial interests when they needed securing, who is beloved by his soldiers and marines universally, who would be unquestionably in charge were we to put him in charge. And they said, well, of course, like we are on this podcast, Smedley Butler, that who else, <laughs> who else? And they go to this guy, and boy, did they fuck up. Not only, <laughs> not only is this guy so fucking repulsed by just the idea of rich people who profit off of soldiers' travails he, he overseas. He was a socialist at this point. He, he was. was he voted. Socialist, new, yeah. socialist Which, newspapers. Okay. Again, yeah, in the theme of, of uh, fascists being fucking stupid, just as a like a part of their general, definition. Yeah. yeah. It's just so stupid. Like that's why the, like the movies that fascists make are always dog shit. Just keep an eye out for that. It's like just, they are, they are stupid to their fucking core. Just like our recently released movie episode. Check it out. It's recently released as in literally like five hours ago. The, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a bad editor. They fucked up by asking Smedley Butler. They asked this guy because they thought that he was the guy that was going to be the dictator on a horse to sweep in, to capture the nation's emotions, to capture the, the troops' emotions, and to give the new government, the guy that they wanted to be the quote-unquote general of – secretary, uh, secretary of general affairs was the term. Secretary of general affairs. They wanted him to run everything and for Franklin D. Roosevelt to be a figurehead. Essentially, and mm -hmm. uh, that was the goal. They were going to maintain the appearance of of complicity with uh, 
not complicity of institution. Yeah, the the yeah they wanted to maintain the illusion of preserving the American Constitution while running it as a fascist state that would like exclusively serve business interests. Yeah, and this was in response to FDR's New Deal, which would obviously come at the the expense of you know higher taxes. For Every rich person lost money. money. Every rich person lost yeah. money as a result of the New Deal. And they were upset because you know who gained money were the people that were starving and dying from the fucking yeah. Great Depression. But you can't have that if you don't take some money away from the rich bastards that <laughs> caused it in the first place. God forbid. I know. They're going to spend half their wealth to preserve the other half. So Smedley Butler, he, he they, apparently the way that um, I've, I've heard this told is that they approached him time and time again to speak to the American Legion. That was how they wanted it. And, they, and he was like, yeah. no, I, I fucking hate the American Legion. I'm not going to talk to them. And the guy was like, you sure? And then he kept coming back again and again and he started to get clued in. He's like, you don't just want me to talk to the American Legion. You got some other thing up your sleeve. And he's like, Smelly Butler, he's like, again, old Gimli is a smart motherfucker, not just a sexy motherfucker. And he says, Someone probably is paying for this. So he goes, what could you compensate me with? And the guy says, well, I could compensate you with some you know, ridiculous amount of money for 1930, 1930s dollars. It was like thousands of dollars. And he was like, what the fuck? He's like, who the fuck has thousands of dollars to have some old bastard come talk to your you know, Boy Scout troop? Like, yeah. you know, no, no, no one has that just coming out there. So he was suspicious immediately. Because he's a fucking smart cookie, not just a sexy cookie. And he decides uh, to, to follow this one in. So he, he feigns interest. He like, like the good spy he was back in, what was that, Mexico? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mexico. Mexico, yeah. Like the good spy he was. And he, he uh, develops the contact and he follows them in. And he gets invited into increasingly more secretive, more problematic uh, rooms. For the being. So once they are assured of his willingness to comply with this fascist coup of the United States government, he starts to ask, well, who's funding this? And how could we possibly pay for this? And what's what's your grand design? And far from being Oh, exactly. Far from JP Morgan. Well, yes, I didn't want to blow my load too soon, but like when he started to 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 get there not just speaking to the American Legion. He's like, what are your political aims here? And the guy says, well, we would like to, and he basically spills the whole plot out because he assumes that Smedley thinks like he does. Smedley does not think like he does. So when he tells Smedley that he wants to find a person to lead an army of 500,000 disaffected veterans in or out of service whatsoever on Washington, D.C. to demonstrate discontent with the current New Deal government for them to uh, unofficially depose Franklin Delano Roosevelt, put him in a figurehead position, create a new office, Secretary of General Affairs, that would run the entire government, have quote-unquote near-total authority, he says all this to Smedley Butler. And Smedley Butler goes, interesting. Let's pretend I'm interested. <laughs> Who would pay for this? And the guy gives out the fucking hit list for any commission afterwards. And here, uh, I'll ask you, Alex. Who are the who are the people on the hit list? 
Uh, it's your boy, J.P. Morgan himself, the financiers. You got Grayson, M.P. Murthy and company. Um, you got some people in the New York Times, actually. Dude, you've got, you've got almost everybody. Like, ev- everyone that you can imagine just being, like, from the Robert Barron era of, like, American exceptionalism. Yep. Um, the reason capitalism is good. Every single one of these people were in on the plot to try to get Smedley Butler to overturn the American government. The DuPont family was in on it. Yep. The Board of U.S. Standard Oil was, or and U.S. Steel was in on it. Mm-hmm. And what's that guy's name again? Oh, yeah, Prescott Bush. <laughs> the original Bush family. Uh, yep. What's the name of the guy that's ahead of a family? Redis. A son, the patriarch. Patriarch of the Bush Bush family. family. Son was, you know, going to be future president and the grandson future president. Jesus Christ. Actual fascists. Yeah, huge. And the names in this prospective list go on. Uh, William Randolph Hearst was included among them, which means that the press was complicit in this because they could reasonably make the American people uh, support or disavow any issue that they wanted to so yeah yeah that, that was like the the big thing right because our boy smedley went to congress and was like yo motherfuckers like you guys appointed me congress appoints generals i have something to tell you <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. boys are about to get fucking deposed yeah. by actual hold on to your hat i appeared before the congressional committee the highest representation of the american people under subpoena to tell what I knew of activities, which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. The plan as outlined to me was to form an organization of veterans, to use as a bluff or as a club at least, to intimidate the government and break down our democratic institutions. The upshot of the whole thing was that I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men, which would be able to take over the functions of government. I talked with an investigator for this committee who came to me with a subpoena on Sunday, November 18th. He told me they had unearthed evidence linking my name with several such veteran organizations. As it then seemed to me to be getting serious, I felt it was my duty to tell all I knew of such activities to this committee. My main interest in all this is to preserve our democratic institution. I want to retain the right to vote, the right to speak freely, and the right to write. If we maintain these basic principles, our democracy is safe. No dictatorship can exist with suffrage, freedom of speech, and press. He went to Congress and, like, reported this to... It was essentially, like, the precursor to the House on American Committee at yes. that point. And um, just just spilled the beans on a, all of this. And at the time, the press, especially, like, the New York Times, was like, Yo, Smedley's kind of crazy. Like, this is all a, a giant fucking hoax. This isn't actually real. Like, don't don't stress too much about it, right? Yeah, suspiciously. It, it was all. Yeah, it was all the 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 mind juices of our socialist grandpa general, um, who was just being a little too crazy for comfort. Right? Don't don't fucking stress about it. So Congress, actually, the House on Ameri- the pre House on American committees actually investigates this. Um, after the media has been going up, uh, like fucking sucking their own dick about how this is all fake and everything that the, the Congress congressional committee actually investigates this. And was like, 
wait a minute, everything he said is actually verified. <laughs> <true>. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually fucking published this. And then, of course, at that point, in like pretty typical American media fashion, just forgot about it conveniently. It was like, oh, remember that fascist coup? Like coup that we all told you was extremely fake a couple weeks ago, and it's now actually very real. Like, don't think about it that much. Yeah. So it was, it was more interesting than just that too. It was uh, they they ran a counter campaign. I mean, you already alluded to that, where they said, "Well, well, yeah, come on." Like these guys. I think it was Will Rogers, the the cowboy dude, who who came out and said, that, yeah, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's uh." That you know, maybe I should be the the, the fascist the dictator. Man on the horse. I've yeah. been on a couple of horses before. You fucking loser. Yeah, it just he. They had. It was one of those things that was. I think she doth protest too much. The media just came out and just smeared the fuck out of this this whole testimony. And they were okay with doing that because Smedley Butler's protection in the form of his father had already been cut off and, and he was easily marginalized. They could just paint him as this crazy old general and and undercut his whole narrative. But like you said, the congressional committee was like, uh, hey, there's actually something here. What was the – I'm going to pull it up. There's an actual quote from the exact findings of the business plot. Okay, the Congressional Committee preliminary report said the committee has had no evidence before it that it would in the slightest degree warrant calling before it such men as John W. Davis, General Hugh Johnson, General Harbord, Thomas W. Lamont, Admiral Sims, or Hanford McNider. The committee will not take cognizance of names brought into the testimony which constitute mere hearsay. The committee is not concerned with premature Newspaper accounts, especially when given and published prior to the taking of the testimony. As a result of the information which has been in possession of it, has been in possession of this committee for some time, it was decided to hear the story of Major General Smedley D. Butler and such others as might have knowledge germane to the issue. But the Congressional Committee final report said, In the last few weeks of the committee's official life, it received evidence showing that certain persons had made an attempt to establish a fascist organization in this country. No evidence was presented, and this committee had none to show a connection between this effort and any fascist activity of any European country. There is no question that these attempts were discussed, were planned, and might have been placed in execution when and if the financial backers deemed it expedient. It was a real thing. More evidence has come to light since that has not been recognized by that committee, which has since been stood down in the 1930s, that General, or excuse me, not General, Prescott Bush, the fucking patriarch of the Bush family and forebearer of a president and president, were, uh, that he was actually uh, supposed to be the intermediary between the American fascist government that would have been and Nazi Germany. He was the guy. Yep. Oh yeah, dude. Thank you, Smedley. Thank you, Smedley, for saving us from the fascist dictatorship. It's like, dude, it's shit like this that kind of just reminds you that we're so fucking close all the time. Like these motherfuckers will turn on American institutions, will turn on the people, will turn on just about everybody the second it is profitable for them to do so. Like, yeah, and in. It, it reminds me of what's that like story that they always tell about the 
the Russian sub commander during like the Bay of Pigs invasion. Yes. Vasily someone like, was up, yeah. who was ordered to launch the nukes against America and <laughs> yeah. just like decided not to. Yeah, and he was like, like, No, Jesus. I'm not gonna fire nukes on America, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Jesus fucking Christ, how close are we all of the time to just absolute hell world if we're not already in it? And it's just like every once in a while you hear the story. Um, that it's not widely publicized all of the time about the people who have an actual conscious and have some kind of like root and, you know, material instinct and like leftist instinct to just be like, fuck this actually. Um, and it's like those people we owe, we owe our current way of life to, right? The same way they don't talk about how we owe the weekend to the unions or our 40 hour work week to the unions because everything mm-hmm. that we have fought for has been probably by a socialist at the expense of the capitalists in the face of just like overwhelming fascist pressure pressure oh yeah you know how many people got clubbed for every single working limitation that you enjoy today oh yeah that ladies and gentlemen is our boy smedley fucking butler the absolute G, the absolute unit, the 18-inch cock, just waving it around in J.P. Morgan's face. Ah, we fucking love it. It was 18 inches flaccid and hard. I'll tell you what. So, <laughs> what do you think Smedley Darlington Butler means today? What does he mean for our 10 listeners? So, I have three notes for my final commentary on this, this men of men. Uh, they are titled... As such, masculine, spine, and hero. <laughs> so, <laughs> for masculine, I'd say he's more of a man than any of the pussies you've encountered today. That includes in and out of uniform. Generally, they Wait. serve interests that they have not sought to question whatsoever. They're interests that seek to secure access to markets on favorable terms and that seek to ensure that no other nation could possibly gain enough independence to present a threat to United States economic supremacy above all. That guy I think there's a massive difference between what Smedley Butler was doing during the banana wars for the United Fruit Company and the Iraq war with Chevron, then you're fucking retarded. Like I'm sorry. Like the 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 connection is right in your face. It's in your face exact thing. In your face have a Smedley Butler right now. Yeah. So, for the spine comment, it says they fucked up and failed to realize that you might accidentally grow a spine in the conduct of military duties. This is something I think is exceptionally relevant to you, Alex, to me, Jim, and to all of our listeners, which is that they are not counting on you. They have assumed that you are out of the picture. They have assumed. They have assumed. Yeah, exactly. That you're complicit, and that you don't give a fuck. They've assumed you're an imperialist just like them, but that you're dumb and you're satisfied with the crumbs from their table. When in fact, they didn't realize then, as they didn't realize now, that the conduct of military duties in peacetime or in war, whichever one you are, will have a tendency to grow several character traits within you. A tendency to work hard and to own up to your own responsibilities and to take seriously commitments you have made. And more more than anything, to be fucking pissed off when someone tries to use you for something that you didn't sign up for. 
All of those mistakes were made with Smedley Butler, and all of those mistakes are being made with you currently. Whereas good businessmen hope for fascism in their wet dreams, whether they admit it or not, a good soldier hopes for socialism. I'm extremely thankful that someone like Smedley Butler ever existed because he inspires me so greatly. And I hope that uh, he will inspire you too. So 